In John chapter 4, verse 22, Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria, salvation is from the Jews. Jesus did not come into this world to start a new religion. He came to fulfill the promises that God gave to the descendants of Abraham. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, verse 18, Peter, preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem, said, What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Christ carried out what the prophets predicted. And to truly appreciate who we are and what we have in Christ, it would help us immensely to understand the Jewish roots of our salvation. I was reading in John chapter 4 because in the previous uh, services we had talked about, you know, witnessing for the Lord, sharing Christ with others, and we had touched on that. And, and those words just seemed to jump off the page when Jesus said to that woman in Samaria, salvation is of the Jews. And it just struck me, and, and I just felt like I need to go with that because I think there's some uncharted territory. You know, there's some virgin land where we have not yet explored, and we need to know these things. And it's all over the New Testament, actually. It's there. And when you start seeing new truths, new for you, suddenly the pieces come together. The dots start being connected, and you gain a greater understanding of what really this is all about. I want you to turn with me now to the book of Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to read from verse 16 down to verse 18. Romans chapter 11, verse 16 to 18. In the middle of the verse, it says, If the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Our redemption did not begin with a babe born in Bethlehem. Its roots go way back to the promises God made to the patriarchs. And we Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who have believed in Christ, we have been grafted into that covenant tree. And he says, Paul says, the Holy Ghost says, whatever the root is, the branches are also. So the very blessing of Abraham flows into us. His, that grace upon his life is part of our spiritual DNA. And Paul, in this passage, the whole chapter, uh, Romans 11, Paul points out that we are indebted to the Jews. So we should not think that we are better than they are. 
They are not blessed because of something we have done. We are blessed because of something God has done through them. They are not built on a foundation which we have laid. We are built on a foundation that God has laid through them. You see, we're talking about our, the Jewish roots of our salvation, the, our Jewish heritage in Christ, if you will. In the 1930s, Nazi propaganda justified persecuting the Jews by saying, well, it's okay to harass, even kill the Jew because they said the Jew doesn't have a soul. But of course, if it wasn't for the scriptures, which were entrusted to the Jews, the Nazis wouldn't even know what a soul is. <laughs> right? Amen? It is unscriptural for a Christian to be anti-Semitic. I'm telling you, it's unscriptural for a Christian to be anti-Semitic, you see. Martin Luther, who of course is, is a phenomenal person in, in the history of the church and whose legacy lives on to this day, but he wasn't a perfect person, you see. Martin Luther, in the early days of his life and ministry, was quite sympathetic to the plight of the Jews. And he befriended many Jews and shared with them the gospel. But when they adamantly refused and rejected the good news, he became uh, hostile toward them and he developed an anti-Semitic attitude, you see. And uh, later generations of people people who didn't even know God at all. Martin Luther, obviously, he knew the Lord. But later generations of people who didn't even know God used the statements that Martin Luther made, statements which I believe, at least in part, were made out of frustration, you know. And they used that as a justification for a pretext for persecuting and even attempting to exterminate the Jews. I would remind you that Psalm 122 in verse 6 says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, God said to the first Jew, a man named Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And those who dishonor you, I will curse. So I don't think it's a good idea for us in any way as Christians, as, as, new, as new creatures in Christ, to be anti-Semitic, you see. In 1973, the nation of Israel was attacked on all sides simultaneously in what became known as the Yom Kippur War. And outnumbered and outgunned, the nation of Israel faced possible extinction Meanwhile, in America, President Richard Nixon, who had troubles of his own, embroiled in the Vietnam War. Uh, if you know th anything about politics and history, he was embroiled in a scandal, the Watergate scandal. Yet he decided, on his own, he decided to airlift arms 
and munitions to the nation of Israel. In fact, a total of 567 missions were flown to Israel, which gave them a much-needed boost to fight back and ultimately to prevail. And it was a huge gamble for Nixon. His actions resulted in the Arab oil embargo, where all the oil supplies were shut off to America. And, and, and I, I was just a boy in those days. I remember long queues for petrol, you know, with the petrol pump, things like that. High, exorbitant prices and things like that. So why did he do it? Why did he, it was a tremendous risk, and it cost him. And he was, it was not a good time for him. Why did he do it? And he said this. When he heard about the need, he had a memory. When he was a little boy, his mother was a devout Christian. And she said to him, God loves the Jewish people. And one day God may use you to help them. And he said at that moment, that, that, that flashed in his mind, he remembered that. And so he said, I don't care the cost or the risk. I'm going, to, I'm going to send them the arms, the munitions, everything they need. And that's, that's what helped turn the tide. And along with, of course, it's the grace of God. They, they, they won the Yom Kippur War. They defeated their enemies. And, um, you know, things didn't always work out so well for Nixon politically. And there's a lot of other things involved with that. But I will say this. He protected America during the, the height and the duration of the Cold War, which, let me tell you, they won the Cold War. Hmm. But perhaps even a greater lesson is this, how a little unknown, devout Christian woman could say a few words to her son, which one day would change history. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, he says. They will rest secure who love thee. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. So my point is, the Bible tells me we have been grafted into Abraham's family tree. Glory to God. That's what Romans 11 says. You know, years ago, my father, he was very much interested in our family history, you know, the Routon history. So he had to do all kinds of research, you know. He traveled to different uh, small towns, and he went to the libraries and checked the court records and all that kind of thing. And then he, he paid money to some organization that was going to trace all our ancestors, you know. And, and, and they sent him this book. And I remember the book arrived, and it even said that there are Routons. That's my family name. There are Routons buried in Westminster. Minster Abbey, you know, the big church there in London, you know, not, not near, near Parliament and all that business. So I actually visited Westminster Abbey, and I, and I asked a curator, is there anybody named Routon buried here? And he looked in the book, and he said, nope. <laughs> and I think my dad got scammed. But, you know, that was kind of a disappointment <laughs> for all of us, found out that that's not true. But there's a better history than, you know, the Jamomi or the Yeptomi or the Jameer, uh, you know, or, or whatever, you know, the Rye or the Tapa or whatever it is, the Thibble, whatever it is. There's a better, there's a better family tree. You know, how many of you have researched your family tree and found out the tree is full of nuts? 
<laughs> there's a better, there's a better, there's a better history. You are of God and you have been engrafted into the family of Abraham. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Bible does not say, the Bible does not say that because we belong to Christ, Abraham is our offspring. No, it says we are his offspring. The branches do not support the root. The root supports the branches. Now in verse 20 of that same chapter, that's Romans 11, it tells us that some of the branches were removed because of unbelief. And we're talking about the fact that the Jews largely have not believed, have not accepted the gospel. But we were grafted in because of faith. So we must continue to believe. Otherwise, he says, we also will be cut off. That's what he says. Otherwise, we also will be cut off. So don't think that you're indispensable. Don't ever have the attitude, well, without me, God just could not get along. Well, he's gotten along pretty well these thousands of years without you. I think he can get along without you in the future too. <laughs> it all depends on me. No, friend, the tree can live without you, but you cannot live without the tree. Amen. Praise the Lord. So he says in verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So the point is, you stand by faith. So don't waver in that. Amen? And the Jews who do believe will be grafted in. For the gospel is first for the Jew and also for the Greek. We were wild, Paul says, uncultivated, uncultivated olive trees. And some of you are real wild. We were wild olive branches, I should say. Yet we were placed securely in the stock of Abraham. How much more will the natural branches be welcomed back if they accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, Savior, and Lord? So the point is, we should be humble and grateful. As 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people. Once you were, you were nobody. You were nothing. And I know some of you, that Naga blood is boiling. But the, spiritually, he says, you were not a people. Spiritually, you were not a people. But now, you are God's people. Hallelujah. Once you were not a people. You were, you were nobody. That is to say you had no status in heaven at all. Think about that. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Does that mean that God is finished with the Jews? There's, there's no more hope for them. He's written them off. He will never deal with them again. He's just discarded the whole race and thrown them in the dustbin. No, Paul himself was a Jew. The early church was at first completely Jewish. As I said to you last week, all the writers of the Bible were Jewish, you see. But even as in the days of Elijah, there is a remnant of those who believe. Praise the Lord. And Romans 11 Verse 11 says this, 
Verse 11 says, through their trespass, meaning the fact that the Jews did not believe, by and large, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Here's a point. You and I, we are supposed to make the Jews jealous so that they want what we have. Right? Right? You know, you see guys, you see somebody who has a better car than you and you feel a little jealous because you actually want that car, right? Girls, you see a pretty woman, you know, uh, in school or, or in the office and you're jealous because you wish you were that pretty. Of course, you know, I'm not talking about any of the girls here, but you know, in general. So the Jews should be jealous of us because they want what we have. But if we are sick, busted, and disgusted, dispirited and, and depressed, I don't think anybody will be jealous of us. Come on, you see some Christians, you know, go door-to-door evangelism, not in our church, but in other places, you know, in other different countries, whatever, you know, knock on the door, hello, we're here to tell you about Jesus. He changed my life. He changed yours too. And the person thinks, I don't know what it is you have, but I hope it's not contagious. No, no, I already have enough problems. I don't need some new problems. See, see, they should look at us and see. They should see the blessing of Abraham running through our veins and in our life, not just spiritually, although that's first, but also even materially and physically. They, people should look at you and say, I don't know what it is, but you are blessed. This is God. I can see God has blessed you, and that's the kind of God I want to serve. God will bless you just so he can use you as an advertisement. So why don't you sign up? Why don't you volunteer? Well, Lord, if you want to use somebody as an advertisement of Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm available. You can go ahead and bless me. I'll, I'll go ahead and sign up for that program. Hallelujah. All right, now let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll look at verse 11 and 12. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, and he goes on to say in verse 12, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This passage, these two verses, describe our condition before we were saved. They describe our condition, spiritual condition, before we were born again. So we not only need to know who we are with Christ, we need to remember who we were without Christ. Let me say that again. We not only need to know who we are right now with Christ, we need to remember, don't forget who you were without Christ. You not only need to know the in him scriptures, you need to know a, a couple of in you scriptures. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so the, he, he says you were Gentiles. You are called Gentiles in the flesh. And the word Gentile the Greek word is ethnos. We get the word ethnic. And it means race of people. Obviously, it means not Jewish. But the way the word is used, the way Paul, through the Holy Spirit, uses the word Gentile doesn't just mean not Jewish, not a Hebrew, not an Israelite. It means without God. 
without God. Before you gave your heart to Jesus, remember, he says, remember, remember at that time. Before you gave your heart to Jesus, you may have been a very religious person. Or you may have been a totally secular person. But either way, you were without God. And having no hope in this world. So that means, you know, maybe you were in church your whole life, right? Maybe your, your entire family, your parents, brothers and sisters, you know, uh, aunties and, 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 and uncles and nieces and nephews and cousins and whatever, you know, third removed and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you're all churchgoers, right? Maybe, you know, you never missed a service. You sang in every Easter pageant. You know, you, 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 you participated in every fellowship dinner. You know, you always brought the beans to the picnic. Maybe you, maybe you were there every time the door was open. Maybe you even went to a Bible college and got a degree. But if you were not born again, you were without God. Oh, I was born a Christian. There's no such thing. There's only born-again Christians. Jesus, in John chapter 3, did not tell Nicodemus, you must be born. <laughs> he said, you must be born again. <laughs> I know you know that, right? Huh? When people say, I was raised a Christian, the red flag goes up. I probe a little deeper. What do you mean by that? Right? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. At that time, you were without hope. and without. So that means even the... The, the, the very religious person, his spiritual condition was no different than the person who never even went to church. Maybe there's some advantage because the other person had some exposure to truth and things like that. But as far as his spiritual condition goes, he was without God. And the Greek translates those two words without God, atheos. Atheos. It's where we derive the English word atheist. So, you know, an atheist says there is no God. But actually, what he's really saying is, I am without God. Atheos. Without, that's what the Greek means, without God. Woo. Before we were born again, we were not only separated from Christ, and again, again, you know, same thing. People, you know, they'll say things, oh, well, you know, I always prayed to Jesus, you know, and I had a picture of Jesus on my wall, you know, and sometimes I would just go in the church and cry, and, you know, and I would, I would sing songs about Jesus, but if you were not born again, you were separated from Jesus. You and your wife could get a divorce, and you still have her picture on the wall, and when you look at it, you cry, but you're separated from her. <laughs> huh? Huh? All right, listen, your picture doesn't save you. Your tears do not save you, right? Hallelujah. Before we were born again, we were not only separated from Christ, this verse says we were alienated. Do you see that? Verse 12, we were alienated from what? The commonwealth of Israel. And we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Notice he uses that expression. This is the English Standard Version, the commonwealth of Israel. The Greek word for commonwealth means the rights of a citizen. The rights of a citizen. See, um, 
somewhere, I suppose, in New Delhi, I would imagine you can probably go somewhere, you'll forgive me, I don't know this, but, and see the Indian Constitution, right? Somebody must have it somewhere. I guess, I guess they haven't been reading it lately, <laughs> but somebody has it, right? In, in Washington, D.C., you can go to the National Archives, and they have there, I don't think they'll let just ordinary guy off the street see this, I'm not sure, but they have the original U.S. Constitution signed by all the founders, all stuff like that. Israel never had a constitution. They had a covenant. And nobody signed it. It was not a piece of paper. It was signed with blood. Moses sprinkled blood on the book. He sprinkled blood on the tabernacle. And he sprinkled blood on all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant that God is making with you today. Woo. Woo but we were excluded from that. We were not a part of that. The word strangers is the Greek word xenos. And it means foreigner. So we had no part in this. We were excluded from the sacred binding agreements that God made with the descendants of Abraham. But let's keep reading. Verse 13. But now. Somebody say now. See, that was then. Let's talk about now. But now. One more time. Say, but now. One more time. But now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, in Paul's day, first century AD, the Jews considered Gentiles to be far off. They mean far removed from God's presence. I told you that Gentile, it doesn't, it, it doesn't just mean non-Jewish. It's a code word. It really means without God. So they considered the Jews to be far off, far removed from God's presence. But now we have been brought near because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the Passion Translation says this, we are delightfully close. I like that. You know, um, sometimes we might be talking about maybe your relatives, your family members, you know, if, if you had somebody in your family died, they might say, you know, you, uh, maybe an uncle or something like that. And they might ask, well, were you close? Were you close? And did you know him well? And, you know, and I guess in Nagaland, everyone would say, yes, of course. But, but, you know, sometimes they might say like, uh, uh, well, actually, I didn't know him very well. I only saw him once or something like that. Or, or we were not very close. How about you and your brother, you and your sister growing up? Were you close? Well, you know, maybe some people might say, well, me and my sister were not very close because she's so much younger than me or, or whatever, something like that. You know, you're describing the warmth, the connection of that relationship. So are you and the Lord close? I know that you're in a relationship with him, but are you close? Yes, we are delightfully close. You can't get any closer. Woo! Hallelujah. That's what the blood of Jesus does for us. Can I get an amen? The Message Bible says this. 
You who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. Out of it, meaning excluded, not apart. Sorry, you don't have it. You can't, you cannot come here. You're not welcome here. This is not for you. Once we were out of everything, but now we're in on everything. Now we are included on, on everything. Everything that God provided for the seed of Abraham. We're not in on a few things, just some spiritual blessings. We're in on it all. All of it is now ours. It's our inheritance in Christ. Amen. Verse 14. That's Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he himself, meaning Jesus, he himself is our peace. Now, a lot of times we just stop reading there and we talk about, we're, we're thinking about, you know, I have peace in my heart now. You know, he is our peace. And that's true. That's right. And that's, and that's wonderful. But there's actually more to the verse than that. He is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now you read that, you know, here we are, Dimapur 2021, and that doesn't seem like that makes any sense at all to you. Like, what is he talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, again, remember last Wednesday I told you that we not only need the textual context, you know, a verse in its whole setting means something different than an isolated verse taken out of the paragraph, taken off the page. We also need a historical context to understand who he's talking to. What are they experiencing? It'll give us a better understanding of what's, what is being communicated. The temple complex in Jerusalem in the first century AD was divided into four compartments. The outermost area was called the court of the Gentiles. So anybody was permitted to worship God in that area. But it was the outermost area. It's, it's, it's furthest removed from the temple. The next compartment or area was open only to Jews, regardless of their religious condition, whether they were good Jew, bad Jew, you know, living for God or not living for God. If they were, if they were a Jew, they could go there. The, 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 the compartment after that was for sanctified Jews, those who were considered ceremonially clean. And the fourth court, the innermost court, was only for the priests. And Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, tells us there was a stone wall, three cubits high, maybe about four and a half feet high, that separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner courts. And Gentiles were not permitted to go beyond that boundary wall. In fact, archaeologists have found uh, inscribed, I guess in stone, a sign from the Temple Mount that read in, in the first century A.D., and I'll read what it says and explain it in more familiar English. The sign said, no alien, and that would mean Gentile, foreigner, no alien may enter within the balustrade, meaning like the, 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 the roped-off area, the, 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 the boundary wall. No foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall be put blame for the death which will ensue. 
Very simply, you're a little curious, think I might just hop over the wall, they'll kill you. You don't think so? In Acts, we read that the, there was a riot in Jerusalem because the Jews there mistakenly accused Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple. Well, it, it's okay for that Trophimus, his friend, it's okay for Trophimus to be in the court of the Gentiles. Anybody can go there. But they're saying, no, no, no. And nobody can go inside the temple. Even Christ did not preach inside the temple building because only, the, only the, the priests could go in there. They mean he went beyond that boundary wall and they tried to kill Paul. They, they were, they were going to tear him limb from limb. So as I've often said, if you understand what Jews in the first century were like, think of Jewish Taliban. You cross that boundary wall and they would definitely kill you. There was a sign there that said, if you die, it's your fault. So Paul, Paul says this. Paul says that Christ made peace between Jew and Gentile by removing that boundary wall. To the, to the readers in the first century, it was very clear what he's saying. What he's saying is now anybody is welcome into the presence of God. There is no ethnic or religious distinction. If you are in Christ, you may enter in. And he goes on and he said, he has made us both one. Woo. Both Jew and Gentile. He has made us both one. It's amazing that he would say that. And then let's jump to verse 18 for the time's sake. Verse 18. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. When he says both, he means Jew and Gentile. We both have access in one spirit. In other words, by the Holy Spirit. To the Father. See, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? You can get a little closer to this really nice religious building, you know. Oh, okay, that's interesting. No, that's not really what it's all about. It's getting close to God's presence. Inside the most the innermost compartment, the Holy of Holies was the Shekinah, the manifested presence of God. That's where the action is. That's where everything happens. That's where on the Day of Atonement, the blood is sprinkled. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. You know, so the Gentiles are far off. They're not even anywhere near there. But now that wall has been taken down. We don't need to go to some religious building. He's talking about the throne of God. We can enter into the presence of God Almighty. Whether you are a Jew, ethnically, or a ethnos, Gentile, you are welcome there. Hallelujah. Several years ago, I was attending a, 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 a camp meeting in another church in America and after the morning session, uh, the pastor invited me to stay back and have lunch with several other ministers. So I agreed. And then uh, one of the ushers came to where I was seated. And when the service was dismissed, he escorted me, you know, behind the platform to the speaker's room, the, the green room, you know, as it was. And I... I'd never been back there before. This is a very large church, you know, very impressive church. So I'd never been back there before. So I went there. And while I'm just kind of minding my own business, waiting, you know, here came the main guest speaker, very well-known person, main guest speaker. 
and he entered in with kind of like a little entourage with him, you know, and there's all these people. And so, you know, I'm just standing kind of like, you know, in the corner, just sort of minding or sitting, whatever, minding my own business. And here this great man of God comes in with all these people behind him, you know, and everything. And he walks up to the pastor and he saw me and he pointed and he said, what's he doing here? What's he, what's he, pointed right at me, what's he doing here? And, um, you know, I didn't intrude, you know, the, I was invited, the usher took me, I was asked to stay back, the usher took me there, but I did not feel particularly welcome. I felt like, <laughs> you know, maybe I need to <laughs> take a hint, right? <laughs> what's he doing here? The main guy, right, for the whole camp meeting, what's he doing here, you know? But you know what? God will never say about you, or me, what's he doing here? <laughs> Glory to God. You come into the presence of God, the angels won't look at you and say, what's he doing here? No, 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 no. We have access through Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit to the Father. You not only have permission to enter into God's presence, you are welcomed there. They're not saying, what's he doing here? They're saying, where is he? Why is he not here? Glory to God. Hallelujah. We have the same standing. We have the same Father. We have the same rights through Christ, Jew and Gentile. Now here's the pesto resistance. Here's the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae. Here's the climax, whatever. Verse 19, Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then, here's the conclusion. So then, you are no longer strangers. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says, we are no longer strangers. Well, some people, again, they read that verse and they think, well, yeah, we are. Like, there's half the people in this church, I don't know them yet. They're strangers. No, he doesn't mean that. Going, go back to verse 12. We're no longer strangers. Strangers to what? Go back to verse 12. At that time, he says we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Verse 12. We were strangers to the covenants of Keep going. Come on, come on a little further. Strangers to the covenants of promise. But now, we are no longer strangers. We are no longer foreigners. We are no longer excluded. I and you, through the blood of Jesus, I am the covenant friend of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I am the covenant friend of God. And we are no longer aliens. What does that mean? Well, go back to verse 12 again. Before Christ, we were alienated, that's the word, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So we're no longer separated. We're no longer excluded from the commonwealth. We are not second-class citizens. You have the same rights and privileges as Paul, as Peter, as John, as any believer that ever lived or is living today. 
Peter himself said that you have received faith of equal value with us through the righteousness of God. Your faith is just as valuable as Peter's faith or Paul's faith or Billy Graham's faith, or Oral Roberts' faith, or Kenneth Hagin's faith, or anybody. See, think about it, think about it. I don't wanna to get too off my, off my thought here, but let's say that we're gonna to go to a shop, and we wanna buy something, and, this, and, the, and the shopkeeper says it costs 50 rupees. So I pull out of my pocket 50 rupees. He won't look at me and say, no, 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 your 50 rupees is not enough. Well, he might look at my face and say that, but, but you normally, you know, your 50 rupees is not enough. You have to pay 100. No, no, if you have 50 rupees in your hand, it's worth the same amount as 50 rupees in my hand. It's worth the same amount as 50 rupees in your hand. It's worth the, it has the same value. The value is not in the hand, baby. The value is what's in your hand. The value is the faith itself. Your faith is just as valuable as any Christian who has ever lived. Now, they may have more of it, and they may be using it more effectively, but your faith has equal value with anyone who ever lived. I like to say this, too. Forgive me, but I like to say this. When you get to heaven, you know, you'll have the privilege of you know, meeting people like David and Moses and Elijah. And I think... I think you, in your mind, you imagine that you'll see Elijah and you'll say, what was it like? Tell me, tell me, tell me, Elijah, what was it like to call fire down from heaven? What was that like? And he might say to you, well, I was going to ask you a question. What's it like to be born again? What's it like to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? What's it like to have the Holy Spirit living in you? What's it like to be saved by grace? Hallelujah. They, they, have, they had a salvation based on, on the law, but they didn't have what we have now. They didn't, experience, they didn't experience in this life what we have now. The Bible says that even the angels of heaven long to look into the redemption that we have. They're curious. They want to know about it. You read it, Second Peter, it's there. Which things the angels long to look into. Glory to God. We have the same privilege with all the saints. Now, I stayed several years ago. I stayed in the home. I'm sorry if I'm boring you, but I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I stayed in the home of, uh, in America of some former Bhutanese refugees. Okay, these were folks who had been displaced from Bhutan and they lived in a refugee camp, you know, somewhere in India. And then, you know, more recent times they migrated to America. And so then they had lived there and they became U.S. citizens. This family I was staying with, they became naturalized citizens. You see, they, how did they do that? Well, they took an oath. You know, they studied, they took an oath, and then, you know, uh, they, they swore their allegiance to America and they became naturalized citizens. And... Um, so uh, they've only been in America like a few years. And so there was an election coming, a presidential election. This was uh, 2016. There's a presidential election. And so they asked me, all of them are gathered together in one room, and they said, Brother John, tell us who should we vote for? And for a moment I thought, vote? You don't get to vote. You just got here. You're Bhutanese, you don't get to vote. What do you mean, who are you voting for? But then, before I said that, of course, I, I realized, no, they have the same rights 
as me because they're U.S. citizens. And when they go to the polling station, the officer won't say, have you been a good citizen? Have you been a good one? How long have you been a citizen? They know once that, that is established, you have the same privilege as everybody else who is a citizen. So whether you've been a Christian for 10 minutes or 10 years, you have the same rights and the same privileges as everyone else in the body of Christ. Woo, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And we are members of God's household. God doesn't have any stepchildren. He doesn't have any illegitimate children. He only has children. He's just as much your father as he is my father. Sometimes Christians have this idea, well, God really likes Pastor Jeppy. He doesn't really like me as much. That's not true. He likes you just as much as he likes anybody. I think sometimes we say, well, God loves us, and we mean it kind of like in a theological sense, obligatory, it's a duty. He not only loves you, he likes you. I like my children. If you said, which one do you like the most? I'm sure my wife would agree. There, there is no favorite. I, I, I love them all equally. I like them all equally. They're all different, and yet, in, a, in another sense, they're all the same. Right? Your heavenly Father is just, equitable, righteous. There's no one on earth that he loves more than you. Praise the Lord. He didn't love the apostle Paul more than he loves you. He didn't love the saints of the Old Testament. He didn't love David more than he loves you. Whew. Now, you may not love him as much as David, but he loves you just as much as David. Isn't that good news? We're members of God's household. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. And I'm just as much a child of Abraham as anybody. In Romans 9, I'll close with this. Romans 9, verse 7 and 8 says this. Verse 7, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, he's quoting a verse from the Old Testament, book of Genesis now, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the offspring. The true child of Abraham is not just one who is born according to the flesh. The one who inherits the blessing of Abraham is the one who believes. We, like Isaac, were born through a promise. We were born by the power of God. His birth was a natural miracle. Your birth was a spiritual miracle, the new birth. Hallelujah. So we are not natural citizens. We are supernatural citizens. We are children of Abraham. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm just as much a child of Abraham as any man ever was. And so are you. You're, you're, we're talking about your heavenly father, but you also need to know this, that Abraham is your father.
The Bible says so. Those who believe, they are the children of Abraham. So in heaven above, I'm sure, I, I would hope so, one day you can meet this wonderful man. And when he sees you, he won't say, hello, Nagas. <laughs> He'll say, hello, son. Hello, my daughter. There was a woman who was bent over. Couldn't stand up straight. My wife accuses me of the same thing, but, but this one was bent over, couldn't stand up straight. And, 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 and Jesus said to the religious leaders, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this bondage today? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this bondage today. In other words, because she is Abraham's daughter, she has a right to be healed. She should be healed. We don't know anything about that woman. She's just a, a Jew. But I know something about you. You have been grafted in by faith. And should not you, being a child of Abraham, be healed today? Shouldn't you, a child of Abraham, be blessed today? Shouldn't you, a child of Abraham, be set free from depression today and anxiety and fear today? Hallelujah. Shouldn't you, a son or a daughter of Abraham, be victorious today? Hallelujah. It's in your spiritual DNA. Victory runs through your veins. Stand up with me to your feet today, and let's give God a shout of praise in the house.